Welcome to another episode of the No Ceilings Podcast. I'm Tyler Metcalf, and unfortunately for me and all of you, uh, not joined by Rucker this week. Uh, Rucker is on his honeymoon, enjoying some well-deserved rest and relaxation. He'll be back next week. No worries. Um, so just a little housekeeping at the top of this episode. Uh, it, don't worry. It's not going to be just me this episode. I have a bunch of voices from the No Ceilings team coming on throughout this episode to talk with me about some of their favorite players that they've really enjoyed watching this year. And my assignment to them was that it doesn't have to be just top guys. It doesn't have to be deep sleepers. It doesn't matter where they are on your draft board or consensus draft boards. I just want to hear from all of you about who you're having the most fun watching this year. So as the episode goes on, that's what we, what we dive into. So make sure to stick around for all of that. But I wanted to get my two cents in and give you all a couple of those prospects that I've really enjoyed watching as well. And not all of these guys are in the first round for me. Uh, Two out of the three are. I'm just going to run through three names. Um, First, Kobe Bufkin, point guard from Michigan, or I guess he's technically a little more of a combo guard. Um, Bufkin has really risen up a lot of draft boards recently, but... I've really enjoyed what he's done all year, both on ball, off ball, and defensively. The way that he has improved his body from last year, he's put on, I think it was about 15 pounds of muscle, and it really shows. Just go back to last year's tape and look at the difference in him physically. It's substantial, and it's really paying dividends on both ends of the floor. But the strides he's made on the offensive end have been so, so, so important. His jumper looks incredibly smooth um, and really effective in the different ways that he's able to get to his jumper. Um, 69th percentile shooting off the catch is really promising for what he can kind of grow into and how malleable he can be in NBA lineups down the road. Um, he's in the 66th percentile as the pick and roll ball handler, 70th percentile spot up 84th percentile in transition and 91st percentile in handoffs. Kobe's not necessarily one of these players. that's really going to fill up the stat sheet and you know, he, he may not even be a first round pick at the end of the day he may even end up going back to school for his junior season next year but the strides he's made in this one year compared to last year they're really really important and really exciting for who he can continue to grow into as a player the way that he moves off ball and runs off screens he has one of the best hesitation moves in the country i think and he really leverages it to get to his spots in the mid-range to really utilize that mid-range pull-up and to get all the way to the rim. He's got really good size. And then defensively, he's an absolute menace. He can guard one through three pretty easily. He's got great hands. He's got pretty pretty good feet, great instincts, great work rate. Once he kind of cleans up some of the footwork inconsistencies, I think that the ceiling for him as a defender is astronomical. And if he does come back for his junior year at Michigan next year, it wouldn't surprise me if he's in the running for all defensive, you know, all defensive team nominations next year. So for me right now, 
he's a guy that I would really be entertaining taking at the end towards the end of the first in the twenties um, in this draft, because I, I do think it really kind of falls off after the 15 to 20 range in this draft. And Kobe's one of these guys where he's not necessarily going to be a superstar, but he does a bunch of little things that a lot of players don't always do, but it leads to winning basketball and his versatility to play on or off ball, to guard multiple positions. He's one of these guys that you can really just throw into any lineup and he's going to figure out a way to make an impact. The second guy I want to talk about is the freshman center from UCLA, Adem Bona. Um, This guy's incredible. It's really just that simple. So I'll start off with some of the offensive numbers, which is not his calling card by any means, but his efficiency is still really, really impressive. Uh, Overall, 91st percentile in points per possession. Um, He's in the 46th percentile in post-ups. And I think, you know, that's considered average on Synergy. So it's whatever. It's fine. He doesn't get a ton of them. um, But even though it is his most common play type, uh, Bona's usage on offense is really, really low. So if he does get drafted this year, if he does go in the first or even second round, teams aren't going to be taking him because of his offensive prowess. They're going to be taking him because of his defense, but sticking with the offense for another minute here, there are really encouraging signs for what he can kind of grow into. I think he's shown some really interesting post-up moves with strong rip throughs to baseline drives, um, really good footwork, the touch and kind of shot variety needs to improve a little bit, but I think there are instances where his free throw looks pretty solid. I know the percentages aren't good, but just the raw mechanics, the touch on it, I think are promising for long, 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 long-term kind of stuff. Um, but he's in the 79th percentile on cuts, and obviously he's not cutting in from the weak side corner or any of that stuff, but it's more so ducking in from the dunker spot, repositioning himself on the baseline to receive those dump-offs from drives he just has a really good knack of position, putting himself in the right position and then using his explosiveness and size to finish those easy opportunities. He's in the 74th percentile in offensive rebounds and the 99th percentile in transition. He works his ass off constantly on both ends of the floor. And that's where it takes me to his defense, which is the really, really exciting aspect of his game. Um, Earlier this season, I broke down his defensive versatility over on noceilingsnba.com, 100% free. Go check it out. Um, I I really do think that he's the best defensive center in this class right now, Um, excluding Victor, because Victor has to kind of be excluded from all conversations, essentially. Um, But the, the way that Bona moves on defense, his work rate, his rim protection, his ability to hard hedge and recover, to play drop coverage, um, it's all really, really special stuff and really special athletic tools that most guys, his size and his age do not possess. And he's regularly getting down in a defensive stance. Like we see guards and elite defensive wings do centers. Don't do that. Centers are typically okay. A little more upright because they're, you know, six ten to seven, two there. It's really hard for guys that size to get down in a defensive stance like that. But Bona has the flexibility and the athleticism to do so. And instead of 
just letting ball handlers blow past him and then using his athleticism to recover and, and then swat away the shot at the rim, which he still does. He moves his feet and denies drives and switches on the perimeter, hard hedges, pushes ball handlers out of what they want to do, and then sprints back to his guy to recover. What he does on defense is really special. And I, I think it's worthy alone of making him a first round talent. Uh, he's another one of these guys though, where, it wouldn't totally be shocking if he returns to school for another year. Um, I, I think that would potentially be a mistake if I was again in that 17 to or that 17 to 30 range of the first round, I would really, really be taking a strong look at him because I, I think at his peak, he has all NBA defensive potential. I think he has, he is that good. I think he's that versatile. I think the athletic tools and the motor are that special where he could really turn into one of the biggest steals from this draft. Then the final guy I want to talk about is KJ Adams from Kansas, who for some reason I have adored his game since last year when he was barely getting spot minutes for Kansas. And what really stood out to me last year was that he was getting minutes. He was only getting a couple minutes a game, but when he was put in, it was often in really big moments. And what that showed me was that his coaching staff has the utmost trust in him. And that was as a freshman when he was getting spot minutes off the bench. This year he's starting and a major, major factor for this Kansas team. Um, as the pick, pick and roll roll man, uh, 59th percentile in transition, 98th percentile offensive rebounds, 58th percentile. Um, I think he has so much more to his offensive game that he's just waiting to unlock on all field goal attempts. He's in the 94th percentile, 92nd percentile with at rim shots, uh, 71st percentile on runners. So I think he has a, he has really promising touch on his shot. Obviously again, with him, similar to Bona, the offensive usage is really low. So you have to take all these numbers with a grain of salt, but his offensive feel and IQ is astronomical. It's really impressive for a player his age. Again, what really stands out with him is some of the passing reads and decisions that he makes. They're not overly flashy. They're not overly, overly complicated, but the ball never sticks with him. He's made, he's getting the ball and he's making a decision. He already knows where he wants to go with it. If he wants to drive, he's catching and driving. If he wants to make that skip pass, it's immediately out of his hands. When he gets an offensive rebound, he's immediately kicking it back out to Jalen Wilson or Grady Dick for that open three. He is a really accurate passer. He's good at finding cutters. Um, I, I think there's some awesome passing upside with him down the road. His offensive game is still a little raw just because of the role that he's asked to play. And obviously at 6'7", um, he might be 6'8". Um, as a center, that's really small his best role in the NBA is either going to be as, as that really small ball five or, you know, more of a power forward role again, or with paired with a center who can really stretch and space the floor. But I don't really have any concerns, even though, yes, he, he's not a shooter. I don't have any concerns about how he can fit into an NBA offense because of how high his IQ is and how much of the dirty work, the little things, it's very Jared Vanderbilt-esque. It's very Kevon Looney-esque. 
it's finding ways to make an impact despite having a pretty glaring weakness to his game. Uh, I'll let you in behind the curtain a little bit here, but I brought up this question to the No Ceilings crew um, about why is there such a substantial gap between Trace Jackson Davis and KJ Adams on draft boards? And just for the record, I have Trace much higher than KJ. And, you know, I think Trace is a much better player right now than KJ is because Trace can do a lot more when it comes to, um, you know, his, his passings at a much higher level right now, his scoring versatility and effectiveness is at a much higher level right now. But when you factor in the age, I don't think it's ridiculous to think that KJ could grow into that similar type of player in a year or less. Even I think he has some really fascinating offensive upside, but what he does on the defensive end right now is really unique. He can switch one through five, uh, really explosive athlete at the rim, uh, great footwork on the perimeter, great awareness with his team defense, the way, that he can be used in a bunch of different coverages, whether it's drop or hard hedge and recover, um, or just a flat out switch. There'll be long stretches of games where Kansas just switches him at the point of attack at the top of the arc. And you can't do that with most centers, obviously against the bigger centers, um, you know, excluding Jokic and Embiid, because you should never be comparing guys to those guys. Uh, they're in a league of their own, but just even with like the Valanchunas type guys, Yes, he'll struggle defending those, which is why he might be better at the four um, and paired with a center who can stretch the floor. But his ability, but his overall versatility, I think is going to make him a pro one day. Eventually, it might not be this year. It might not even be next year. But I think eventually, really smart teams are going to find ways to maximize what he's good at because he has a lot of versatility and an extremely high IQ and willingness to do the dirty work that again, a lot of guys don't want to do. So once we get into the tournaments here in the next week and the next month, keep an eye on these guys because they do a lot of little things that don't necessarily show up in the stat sheets. And that's the kind of stuff that for me makes them so incredibly fun to watch. Appreciate you guys hanging out with me. Uh, Let's get into our guests and hear from the rest of the team. I am elated to bring on Albert Gim, who is going to talk about someone that uh, we share a mutual fondness for. So, Albert, who is one of the prospects that you've enjoyed watching the most this season? Um, So when I pitched him to you, um, I was really excited about this because he's a guy, as you mentioned, that we both really, really enjoy. And recently he's gone through some injury issues and a perceived uh, cold stretch. But I'm talking about Jed Howard from uh from michigan and uh i love him so that's why i'm on today <laughs> I, I i'm always appreciative of when when other when other people on the team love michigan guys so I'm, I'm not completely rooted in my bias uh it's a little reassuring for myself but with jet what jumps off the screen for you that has really made him so enjoyable to watch um for me i'd say the number one thing is his confidence Um, And that's something that, you know, when I wrote my piece on him that I wrote about, I I just feel like there's this confidence that he exudes 
um, that isn't always common for somebody his age, uh, you know, coming in as a freshman on a team with some upperclassmen, um, especially like Hunter Dick Dickinson. I, I just felt like he walked in from day one pretty sure of himself. And and then once we start talking about the skill set and obviously the shooting kind of jumps off the screen and even with his perceived cold stretch or whatever, his season numbers still look pretty good. Still just under 37 percent from three, 81 percent for the free throw line. And I get it. Sample size small. But, you know, overall, I will say everyone's sample size is pretty small. when We're talking <laughs> about freshmen playing college basketball and he hasn't even finished his freshman season. So I, I don't want to overreact to anything, but I, I just want to say love the confidence, love the shooting. And then of course, like a little bit of the, the, the playmaking stuff that we, he's flashed as well. Yeah. So I, I forgot to say this at the start, but 14 and a half points per game, almost three rebounds, just over two assists, uh, just under 37% from three just under 42% from the floor. And you, you did mention the sample size, but I think when you kind of compare it to what his shooting tape looked like at IMG, it was good. It was fine. It was promising, but the leaps and strides that he's taken in this, you know, just calendar year, when you look at his senior year to some of the shots he's making right now are pretty extraordinary coming into the season. Were you thinking that he was, had the capabilities of being this lethal of a shooter? Not at all. Like I, I won't even sugarcoat it or lie and say like, oh, you know, I had a feeling. I no, I zero percent. I had no expectation of this at all. And I think the the biggest thing that you just mentioned, right? Like the difficulty of the shots that he's taken as well, right? And of course, like the willingness to take those shots, I think has been really impressive. And it's not just threes. Like mm -hmm. something that you know, I, I clip, I clipped up a lot of like his mid range shots too, off the dribble, right, off of combo moves off of spins, you know, contested shots. These are tough shots, and I'm not saying he's making all of them, but the fact that he's willing to take them and the fact that he's making some of them and he's able to flash that ability, I think, was really, really impressive. Yeah, and when, when you look at, like, Synergy and his play-type distribution, it's really varied. I mean, spot-up is the most frequent at just under 33% of the time, but he's running the pick and roll 21% of the time. He's running off screens 15% of the time, running in transition 10%, and, you know, in handoff 6%, and he's in the 97th percentile in that, uh, 84th percentile in spot up, 62nd as pick and roll ball handler, which is something I never expected from his game, especially this early in his career. So when you kind of look at the plays and the play type distribution and the tape and what he, where the areas that he succeeded at, what do you kind of perceive his NBA role to be both in the short term and long term? Hmm. Okay. Even as a jet Howard optimist, <laughs> I'm not going to say that he's going to walk into the league and be a guy that any team is going to be relying upon as a primary or even a secondary creator. Uh, now where he ends up becoming or what his ceiling looks like eventually could be in that range. Right. But I think initially when he walks into the league, I, I think he's going to be looked upon as a jumbo spacer. Like he, in my opinion is every bit of six, eight from what I see, obviously I haven't yeah. stood next to him, but from what I've seen on tape, like he looks gigantic, really long legs, um, arms, uh, wingspan look fantastic too. And I just think like teams are going to look at him and be like, okay, he's a guy who is not afraid to get shots up a guy who has a lightning quick release and can shoot at a pretty high clip. I, I think that's going to be his initial role. And then 
over time, I believe that he has the potential to kind of round out his game because Mecca, something that you mentioned is the, the, the diversity and the shots that he's taking is, is there, but also like some of the ball handling stuff when, when I did his article was pretty shocking. Like, I'm not going to argue that he's Kyrie Irving or Dwayne Wade when he's splitting the pick and roll or splitting the double. Like it, it's not to that extent, but it's there. Like there were a couple of times where he's splitting the double and I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. And, and not something that I ever, ever expected at all heading into his freshman season. So for me, it's if we're talking about small sample size, the fact that he flashed that a couple of times and more within that small sample size is more than enough for me to get excited about his future outlook and him potentially becoming even like a secondary or who knows, right? Even a primary type of guy one day. Yeah. And something that Rucker and I have talked about with a prospect like Max Lewis is that as, as the season has gone on, Lewis has really started trying more dynamic dribble moves and pull up jumpers and really difficult NBA level stuff. Now the success rate on those is really low for him right now because he's just not ready for him. But the fact that he's trying them is really encouraging. And I think we can say the same thing with Jet, but we're seeing it come through at a higher success rate. And the fact that they were running him through really complex off-ball sets where he was running off his screens and then had four different decisions that he had the freedom to make based on whatever the defense did. And he was consistently doing it at a high level and really you know, opening up stuff for himself, but also his teammates. I thought that was really encouraging and just really surprising given the, you know, just three and D type player he was at IMG. No, a hundred percent. And something that I, I tried to highlight a little bit um, is like, you know, you mentioned some of the action that they're running him off of, like they're running like pistol with him and he's coming off the screen and he, as you mentioned, right, he has to make decisions. There are a lot of things in front of him. He can pull up, he can drive, he can pass, he can dump off. And like some of the stuff that he was doing, even with Hunter Dickinson, right? Some of the pick and pop stuff, pick and roll stuff. And just like the little nuance that he was able to flash with his passing, I thought was really, really impressive and stuff that like, once again, I had zero expectation of. And and you know what? Metcalf, I, I love the point that you make about Max Lewis and how, you know, he's attempting things. And of course, like they're not always going in, but the attempt is important. I think sometimes when we look at young guys and they attempt NBA types of moves and stuff, I think people can um, misinterpret that and be like, oh, this guy's just wild or this guy's raw. Like what's wrong with him? But I once again, like I, I love the attempt and something that um, when Corey and I, we broke down um, Amen Thompson before the season, just going off of his OTE tape last year, that was that was one of our critiques of his game. The fact that he wasn't willing to take some of those shots, that he wasn't willing to try some things that were, you know, kind of out of his comfort zone. So once again, just want to reiterate that point that you made. Like, I, I think the attempt and the willingness to try is really important. All right. We got to talk about the defense. Where are you at with it? Um. <laughs> uh bad no yeah. um you know it's it's not great and and, and i don't want to lie to our your listeners our listeners here and say like yeah you know i think uh he's good um could be better it's 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 pretty bad right now but but the one thing i will say though and i really do believe this i, I do think the effort is there like it, it's it's it really is for me a matter of um and it's not like oh he's one step away from being a good defender i think he's a couple steps away but for me it's i don't mind the guys who try really hard but just don't have like good foundational things as a defender um i i think instinctually there's some things where i'm like oh hey um 
why didn't you see that coming? You know, like, I, I wish you did. But like, I, I do think there is buy-in. I do think he tries. I also think something that we have been talking about in the first 10 minutes or so at talking about him is that like he's doing a lot more than he did in high school. Yeah. Right. And he's trying more stuff. And to be totally honest, like that will take some stuff out of you, you know. And so I, I don't want to make excuses for him and be like, oh, like we should feel bad for the kid. He's doing more stuff. Uh, I, it's more of clearly it's an area of improvement for him. I don't think he's an absolute train wreck, but I would never, ever tell anybody that I thought he was a good or even an average level defender right now. Yeah. I, something that's encouraged me is that early in the season, you know, their first five to 10 games, he was getting back cut just constantly. And it's always infuriating for me with guys like that, because it's like, man, you're an awesome off ball mover. <laughs> like, you know what players are capable of doing offensively without the ball, because you're doing it on every possession. Why are you getting beat by the same thing? And as the season has gone on, I think he's cleaned a lot of that up. Obviously there's still so much work for him to do on that end. Where are you at with his on ball defense, because I wouldn't describe him as the most explosive athlete, but like you mentioned at the top, he's big. And I think that's a very legit 6'8, 215, 220, whatever he's listed at. So, what projecting his defense, his on ball defense forward, do you think he has the potential to kind of hang with more wings, or would you like to see him even guard up in the lineup? I think in year one to two, um, that won't be on the table. Um, <laughs> but my thing is with him is this, like when I look at him, he, to me, in my opinion, very clearly is going to be able to add a lot of mass um, and strength. I, I just feel like when I look at his, his, his body, like I, I don't want to, man, this is not a comparison at all, at all. But like when I look at like how long his legs are and how he moves at times, I'm like, oh, like, you know, it's kind of clunky. It's kind of, you know, uncoordinated at times. Like is, no, actually, I'm not even going to utter this name because people are going to come <laughs> for me. But I will say this, Metcalf, like I really do believe that um, he is a giant guy. He's going to add strength. I don't think he's like the worst lateral mover. Um, I do think there's something there like, yes, once again, the feet can be clunky, but I do think that can get tightened up. I, I would never argue that he's an elite athlete or even like a very good athlete. It's just not there. I think it's actually hilarious. I was actually on his uh, Instagram page and I think he signed like an NIL deal with this uh, clothing brand called Kiwi. And they, cre they created like a whole line for him, like the jet Howard line. And um, it's an image of him with like, boosters coming out of his feet taking a jump shot like he's like iron man and like i thought it was so ironic because like he's never jumping as if he had boosters <laughs> on his feet yeah, it's like can we actually get him poked up with those <laughs> it might help um but going back to your question like i i do think on ball is where he's been slightly better um just because of the size and the wingspan and i and i do think once again like with more strength i think he's gonna be able to chest guys up a little bit better and Hopefully, right, if he shows more improvement and on that end is specifically on ball um, and adds more versatility in that way where he can guard wings and guard a little bit up, then I think obviously we're talking about a way more interesting defender than what he is right now. All right. So to, to wrap up, where you, you say that you love Jed Howard. Where do you have him currently ranked? What are some of the kind of your, some of your favorite team fits for him? And are there any players in the NBA right now that kind of 
give you similar vibes. Um, obviously, it's not a one-for-one comp. We're not going to hold you your feet to the fire on it. It's more play style, role, that kind of type of stuff. <sighs> so currently on my board, I still have him in my top five. And, and, and I get it. Like, it. For, <laughs> I appreciate that. But I know like that right now on uh, March 1st, it's like pretty against the grain and controversial for me to say that I have him in my top five. But it, it's just I, I don't want to let this little cold spell and him also having an ankle injury kind of yeah. dissuade me from being confident in what I believe he may become one day. Um, in terms of team fits, I, I honestly, I, I just want him to be on a team where they're going to be creative with their young players. You know, like I, I want him to have the time to develop. I don't think he's going to be a year one impact guy right away. But then again, I, I could be wrong. Like I also didn't think he was going to be a year one impact guy in college. So I might be wrong and he may become a year one impact guy in the NBA. Um, but yeah, in terms of comps, um, I compared him to like a modern day Detlef Schrempf, or maybe he could become like a Richard Lewis type. And, and like, that's, these are weird comps. I totally understand. I and it. none of these guys play now. <laughs> um, but like my reasoning behind comparing him to like a Detlef Schrempf was like, because of the size, number one, like, I think he's going to be gigantic. And on top of that, like the shooting stroke, I really believe in it. Right. And I think he's going to be a really dynamic shooter, but also Schrempf back in the day was a really really good passer and we're talking about back in like late 80s or 90s you know like they didn't have a very uh, expansive offensive game back then it wasn't all about you know space and pace and freedom you know so i that's why i kind of thought of those guys and i feel like jet howard might be able to be that type of player on the next level all right albert thank you this was awesome uh listeners if for some reason you haven't watched jet howard yet please make sure to go do so time is quickly running out on the Michigan season. Uh, so it might just be better to go back in time and watch some of the the, the er, earlier season games. But uh, Albert wrote about Drew Peterson last week. It was excellent, really entertaining, really informative. Uh, make sure to go check that out at noceilingsnba.com. It is 100% free. You can listen to Albert and Corey on the Draft Act. Same feed every Thursday. Awesome show. Always good stuff. And you can follow him on Twitter at Alberto. Uh, that's A-L-B-E-R-T-O-E, Gim, G-H-I-M. Albert, thank you. Appreciate it. I'm very excited to bring on Nick Agar Johnson, who we just had an episode about Trace Jackson Davis earlier this week. It's a lot of fun. If you missed it, make sure to go back in the archives and check it out. Uh, but Nick is coming on to pitch one of the guys who you know fittingly is might be a little deeper dive given his uh the the name of his show and what he tends to write about for no ceilings nba.com which is 100 free go check it out and subscribe um so nick who is the prospect or one of the prospects this year that you've enjoyed watching the most so i am here today to talk about someone who i did in fact write about earlier this season deron holmes of the dayton flyers and just sort of the quick pitch for Duran Holmes. He's someone who has been a really efficient offensive player, not just sort of your typical post-up big man, although he is very effective in the post. He's an incredible cutter, which I think is going to be much more of a part of his skill set at the NBA level. He's also coming around a little bit as a shooter. He has, you know, doubled his three-point volume from last year, which is to a grand total of 15 three-point attempts, which is not that great. But the bigger key for him there on the shooting front is... He's getting to the free throw line almost seven times a game this year, which is a huge uptick from last year. He's also boosted his free throw percentage from 59% last year to 66% this year. So, you know, really solid improvement from him on that front. 
He's also, you know, taken a lot of steps forward as a passer. His assist numbers aren't all that great, especially, you know, the last few weeks. He's not done all that well on the assist front, but he's had a lot of the Dayton offense run through him. And for the most part, he's done a very good job of that, you know, creating looks for others out of the post, creating looks for guys out of handoffs at the top of the key. So the continued shooting growth is definitely something to monitor for him. But even if he doesn't quite get there as a shooter, I really buy into him as a complimentary offensive player. You know, someone who we just talked about, Trace Jackson Davis, right? Someone who also can make passes out of the post, be a playmaking hub in addition to someone who can punish myth matches down low and, his cutting and other complementary offensive skills make me think that he's someone who has a pretty solid floor as a backup center who could fit into a lot of different team constructions. So Holmes is obviously a center from Dayton, smaller school, not, you know, mid-major competition. What was it about his game this year that really got you so intrigued and so excited to watch him and talk about him and write about him so much? So it started off with the playmaking. That was sort of the big change from last year with him that I was really interested in. And, you know, it's sort of developed further with just looking at the rest of his offensive game. You know, he's someone who, you know, has been near 20 points a game throughout the season, but not in a way that he would really be scoring at the NBA level. You know, he's a 6'10 center. He's probably not going to be getting a lot of his offense from post-ups at the NBA level. But, you know, again, it really comes back to his solid cutting instincts. He's a great read and react guy. He's getting much better as a playmaker. And, you know, I haven't even touched on the shot blocking yet, which is I know something that you are very much a fan of with Duran Holmes. But, you know, really for me, it's just that he has this very solid floor in my mind as a complimentary, you know, backup center type on offense. And when you add in the damage that he can do as a shot blocker on the defensive end, I think he's got a very good chance of succeeding in some sort of role at the NBA level. You know, maybe not maybe not you know all-star type player by any means, but you know, someone who I think could have a very effective role. And if he continues improving at the rate that he has from his freshman year to this year, then I think there's definitely more for him to mine in terms of, you know, his shooting growth continuing and his playmaking growth as well. So l- l- let's talk about the offense a little bit and I agree that there's been strides made. Um, I've been really impressed with his ability to make that skip pass out of the post uh, this year. I think his vision and accuracy with that has really come a long ways. It's starting to get a little predictable. Would like to see a little more variance in his passing, but base level as a passer, as a big man, at least he has that right now. From a scoring standpoint, he posts up a lot. And when I say a lot, I mean 43.9% of his possessions, which is 94th percentile in frequency. Um, he's very effective at it point per possession, 82nd percentile on that. Do you think he's limited to just being a post up player? Or do you think that's just the nature of their offense right now? I think it's just the nature of their offense. And that's, you know, why I wanted to emphasize the cutting stuff. He's also in the 97th percentile as a pick and roll roll man. He's in the 90th percentile in transition. You know, I think that a lot of it with him is, you know, yes, what you're going to see from him most of the time at the college level is him, you know, trying to bang in the post. But I think the reason that I'm as high on him as I am is that I think that his complimentary skills outside of that are really solid. So once he gets to the NBA level and isn't posting up as much, I still think he has enough complimentary skills to really be a solid fit on the offensive end. And, you know, if he does become one of the like five big men in the NBA that frequently post up, you know, he's shown some proficiency at that. But again, that's not what I'm betting on for the NBA translation. I'm betting on his, you know, really high basketball IQ and his great complimentary skills. And if he does get a post up niche match is something he can take advantage of, but that's not, what I'm expecting from him primarily at the NBA level. So again, still just speaking offensively, who are some of the guys in the league that you think he, that or that 
first he reminds you of, and then who are some that you think he should kind of model his game after going forward? Sure. So it's funny because, you know, the comps that I have for him are players that I think of much more highly than him, but I think it's the kind of archetype of a player that we see among pretty high level guys. Like, you know, He's somewhere, I think, between Demonis Sabonis and Bam Adebayo. He's a better athlete oh, than... Oh, so just all NBA level. Yes. All That's why I said that my comps for this are higher level than... You know what? Fine. All right. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to... No, but I mean, the idea with him... Yeah, it's... I'm struggling to think of a sort of backup big man that I think of in a similar mold to him. But, you know, I think it's honestly a very good comp for him is you know, Trace Jackson Davis, who we just talked about, you know, as you mentioned, Duran has gotten a little bit more predictable as a passer, whereas Trace has really diversified his passing game. So, you know, that's a bit of a knock against him. But, you know, I think the idea of Duran Holmes is, you know, primarily as a backup center who, if you have a Nikola Jokic or a Demonis Sabonis, you can slot him in as the backup guy and say, okay, you know, he's not going to be Jokic, but he can do a similar enough, he can fill a similar enough role to him that it makes sense to have him as a backup guy for a Demonis Sabonis or a Bam Adebayo or a Nikola Jokic. All right, let's talk about the defense. What jumps off the screen for you? It's the shot blocking. I mean, <laughs> it's it's not that complicated for him. You know, he's he is a wild defender around the basket, and that's a huge part of, you know, why I'm as high on him as I am. You know, we just, you know, when you're talking about sort of undersized centers, there's a lot that you have to make up for. And with Holmes, he does that by just erasing shots around the basket. His blocks per game numbers has actually gone down a bit since last season, which is not really what I expected to be, to be entirely fair. But I mean, in terms of what he does, you know, that's that's an area of his game where him just sort of maintaining or coming pretty close to maintaining what he was last season is just fine because that's, you know, something he was spectacular at last season, spectacular at this season. Pick and roll defense, uh, I mean, you know, he's someone who's pretty quick for a center, but, you know, not someone you want to be switching onto point guards all the time. So really, I think for me, it's just his ability to control the lane as a drop guy blocking shots. Yeah, and something I've noticed with him is that in drop coverage, when he's able to keep his hips one direction, he's really good at sliding. Mm-hmm. But he gets a little exposed, um, like not, you know the vast majority of centers when he really has to flip his hips and react and you know adapt to more complex dribble moves and all that stuff in space. Do you think that he has the long term potential? You know, we're talking five years plus down the road to defend a little more in space or do you think that he's just going to be really strictly a a drop coverage um defender who's you know protecting the rim from the weak side i think he can eventually be good enough i'm not going to say that you know he's going to be a you know menacing switch defender you know he's he's not going to be a Giannis Antetokounmpo anytime soon but you know i think the idea behind it is He's effective enough in small bursts, as you mentioned, at you know, sliding his feet, keeping up with guys on the perimeter, that I feel like there are definitely guys who I would be less comfortable with long term, sort of figuring that out. I mean, I think he's good enough as a drop guy right now that he'll get the reps that he needs to figure out some of the switching stuff. And, you know, I think he's quick enough. I think he's athletic enough. You know, I don't think he's one of the craziest athletes that we're gonna see at the NBA level, but I think he's good enough to keep up with guys in small bursts. Okay, so you, I, you said that you were high on him. How high are we talking? 
Ooh, okay. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how how hard I'm going to get roasted for this, but I have him. I have him 20th on my board right now. I have him as the second center behind Victor Wembanyama on my board. Oh, okay. So you haven't watched a Dumb Bona film yet, but that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, we are we are here to talk about Deron Holmes. Um, so, obviously, you you you're a big fan of his game. It seems like one in every five boards he kind of pops up in the first round. Why do you think he's not getting as much love as and appreciation as you're seeing? I mean, honestly, I think part of it is, you know, what we mentioned at the top of he's got this, you know, great sort of complimentary offensive skill set. But because most of what he's doing most of the time is posting up guys, it's, you know, a bit harder to see. You have to dig into it a bit more to see, no, this is actually someone who can fill a lot of roles for an offense rather than just, you know, getting the ball in the post and hammering guys for, you know, 17 possessions a night. All right. What what is his ultimate goal or ultimate outcome as a as a role in the NBA? I think best case scenario, he can be a gap filling 20 minute a game starter. I think that really what it's mostly going to be is I think he's got a really solid floor given his complimentary skills on offense, given his shot blocking that there are a lot of teams. I mean, you know, I mentioned the, the nuggets, the heat, the Kings who could really use someone like him as a backup center to, you know, run a similar offense to what they would run with the starter out there. You know, again, you as you roasted me for it, he's not Demonis Abonis. He's not Bam Adebayo, right? But the idea being, if you're putting him in for 15 minutes a game as the backup center, that's going to work a hell of a lot better for your offense than, you know, trying to run DeAndre Jordan out there. He just makes a lot more sense in terms of trying to fill a similar role than a lot of the sort of backup big men you're going to see around the NBA. All right. F- final closing words on Deron Holmes. Tell the listeners why they either need to go check out his film or appreciate it more than they have. So you need to go check out his film because he's fun to watch and he he does a lot of fun things out there. But you know, I think the idea for me is watch what he does when he's not posting up on the offensive end because that's I think where his real value is going to come in the NBA. You know, as a cutter, as a roll man, as a transition threat. You know, a lot of the time you're going to just see him get the ball and pound the ball down low because he's the hub of the Dayton offense. You know, as a post up scorer essentially. But what he does outside of that is what I really buy into in terms of his NBA translation. All right. Well, he is Nick Agar Johnson. You can find him at Twitter at NBA Johnson. He just had a feature on CD Sissoko go up. It's awesome. Go read it. Nick, thank you. Thank you, Tyler. I am thrilled to bring on Stephen Gillespie, uh, ne- next man up in this discussion of going over some of our guys who or some of the prospects that we have really thoroughly enjoyed watching this season. And Stephen, who is the guy that you wanted to bring to the table? Well, I want to bring up a guy who I actually wrote about for No Ceilings all the way back to the new year. I believe it was actually our first piece of the new year, and that's Taylor Hendricks. And um, in, in that article, I wrote about how I think that he projects moving forward into what the NBA is looking to do with their kind of modernized twin tower lineups that we're seeing from some teams like Utah, Cleveland, Orlando, even, you know, your Minnesota Timberwolves run a pretty big lineup at times. So um, really excited to to talk about him with you today, man. Yeah. So Taylor Hendricks is 6'9", 210 pound freshman out of UCF, currently averaging 15.3 points, 6.6 rebounds, 1.7 blocks, and shooting just under 48% from the floor and just over 41% from three. Not bad numbers. So Mm-mm. for for you, Stephen, what is the thing that first jumps off the screen and really makes you fall in love with Hendrix's game? 
Well, I mean, he essentially jumps off the screen, and that's like <laughs> what, what Ridley does it for me. Um, he's a pretty athletic, kind of wiry big man for UCF. And I hear a lot of conjecture about, like, is he more of a 3-4, or is he a 4-5, or is he a pure 4? I, I think that's really what intrigues me about him is the versatility that he brings to, you know, to the NBA moving forward. I mean, he's super young. A lot of people kind of have this whole thing to do. Why is he playing at UCF, you know? We, we've talked about that. You can go back and listen to it on the draft act with uh, Jeremy Wu. He talks to the guys about how his brother had a lot to do with that, actually. But, you know, he's I view him as a four. You know, he spaces the four. You, you, you pointed at the the shooting that he has. I believe he's what in uh, a spot up season, the 81st percentile on 123 possessions. That's pretty daggum good on good volume. Right. Um, on catch and shoot, he's in the 85th, 83rd um, percentile guarded 72nd when he's unguarded, right? So he can space the floor pretty plug and play. Oh, and he's averaging like 1.7 blocks per game. He's got a almost 6% block percentage, which is actually pretty nutty. So he's he's kind of everything that an NBA team wants in one of these kind of four, three, four, five players, right? Like look at Jared Vanderbilt, like the injection that he has given to the Los Angeles Lakers. There's just so much versatility that a player like him uh, brings to an NBA team and that that's what just keeps bringing me back into him. And then his frame, you know, you mentioned he's six, nine, he's going to get bigger and stronger. And yeah. if you look at the at written numbers, they're, they're quoted as average, right? I believe he's actually in the 50 percentile at an at rim finishing. And when he gets bigger and stronger and the floor opens up for him a little bit more, better teammates, things of that nature, he's going to look so much better, so much more dynamic. And that just has me chomping at the bit. So the the big thing with him all season has been just the spot up shooting has been insane from from start mm-hmm. to finish. Um, you know, I'm always a little skeptical when guys at some of these smaller programs really break onto the scene earlier in the season. I'm like, okay, well, maybe this will tail off. And it's not like Taylor Hendricks is a complete no name coming out of high school. He was a top fifty no. recruit, I believe. So you know, the, there's pedigree behind him, but you just kind of always expect these guys to hit a wall and his shooting hasn't it's like okay this is a very legitimate skill with him what else do you see him doing on offense besides spot up shooting or is the spot up shooting good enough where at that forward position where he can stretch the floor where it's valuable enough that he doesn't really need to do a whole lot more i think the shooting is all is obviously like his entry level um role coming into the nba but i keep Similar to how we talk about Brandon Miller, you know, we, we looked at his two point percentage was a big point of conversation, but throughout the season, he's, he's grown more accustomed to handling that physicality that's closer to the basket. I think Taylor Hendricks has a little bit of the same thing. And if you look at the at rim stuff, if you look at the cutting, he's actually in the hundredth percentile rolling to the basket, albeit on very small sample size of about 23 possessions per synergy. I'm just, I'm so excited about what he looks like when he gets into that grown man body of his, because I do think that that's going to open things up to where he can be a better cutter. And I do like his vision too. I mean, he's not like setting the world on fire with some of his passing or anything like that. I'm not as high on him as say like Jalen Duran, as I, as I was to Jalen Duran last year with some of that post playmaking potential, but I do think that he can connect on offense. I do. I don't look at him as like a net negative in terms of playmaking or anything like that. I just think that, his youth, the level of competition that he's at now, um, growing into his frame and receiving just excellent coaching moving forward. 
I just think that the sky is the limit for a player with his entry level skill set and his frame. Yeah, and you know, so something that's really jumped out about his game, especially recently in the last couple of weeks, um, has been his post up play, and he's yeah. in the ninety fifth percentile, and he and he runs it in ten point seven percent of his possession. So it's you know not super high volume, but it's not a nothing burger either. And at six nine. You know, I really agree with you with his frame. I and mean, he he looks like a guy who's going to be able to easily add fifteen to twenty pounds of muscle, and I think that's going to make his kind of positional versatility so much greater in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Where you know you look at the Clippers and the small ball r- lineups that they're running out there. If you throw Taylor Hendricks out there at the five, okay, cool. Uh, yeah. You want to go big? <laughs> throw him at the three. Awesome. There isn't really a mismatch for him or a mismatch for him that he is going to struggle with. I don't think, Um, but to wrap up his offense, do you have any optimism that he can really develop an off the bounce game or given what you think his role will be? Do you think it's going to be something that it's not really necessary for him to develop in the near future, but could be something, you know, more down the line that comes along. I'm, I'm not necessarily looking for him to be super dynamic off of the dribble or anything like that. One thing I would like to see him do a little bit more, and I don't know if it's necessarily like style of play or just physically or, you know, basketball maturity wise, what he's capable of doing right now is in like those DHO sets, being able to put the ball on the ground for a couple of dribbles further away from the basket, not just back at the basket, take a power dribble and face up or anything like that. I think if he can work on his two, three dribble game, preferably like elbow you know, baseline extended, something like that to where you can trust him to dribble a couple times and then make a good read. And again, what we're seeing with him as a role man and his kind of slowly but surely growing playmaking potential, I think in the short role, that'll help him out as well. But I don't necessarily look at the the on-ball stuff as being a necessity, especially with where the game is going. If he's he's playing alongside an initiator already, he just opens up the floor so much. And improving that strength will help out the rest of his, you know, off ball cutting things of that nature. All right. Let, let's pivot to the defense. What gets you excited about his defense? Man, so much. First off, the the shot blocking is already there. You know, he, he is, it's really easy to fall in love with, you know, blocking percentages and things like that. People look at it as an indication of athleticism. People look at it as an indication of feel. I just, when you're flipping on the film, watching him, you know, just the way that he can survey the floor, while he is kind of kind of fronting his man a little bit, still keeping tabs on where the ball is and understanding when he needs to kind of break away, recover, and and actually front up at the at the basket. I think that his instincts as a weak side rim protector is just fantastic. And that's kind of what you want. And what he brings to an NBA team with shot blocking, it allows him to, I don't, you know, he's not going to be a primary rim deterrent, you know, playing the five kind of in that Clippers lineup. You kind of want him in a five-out system to where he can recover and and help out. But that gives so much more versatility to the rest of the players around your team to where, okay, I have maybe an offensive-minded big man. If I had, And if he's a big body, I can put him in front of the guy knowing that the help side is going to be there, right? So that's kind of like my, my big thing about him. But I do think that there is potential for him with the way that he moves. He's, he's more fluid than I think that he gets credit for defensively away from the rim. And I think that that could grow into him being able to guard some of the bigger power wings in the NBA. I wouldn't necessarily say like a, a point guard or a point of attack defender or anything like that, but I don't, I don't think that I would be afraid if he's going up against say like a Jay Crowder or something like that. 
Yeah, and for for me, it's the the weak side rim protection, exactly like you said. It's awesome. It especially for yeah. his position, for his age, just the instincts, the timing, um, just everything on his rotations, and just his ball location ability when he does go up to block. Yeah. It's so impressive, and I, I think that point that you made about the type of center that he plays with was really important because you know I'm. I watch mostly Timberwolves games as listeners know. So I'm just a little prone to going back towards that. But last year we saw them really being aggressive and playing at the level. And you can't always do that depending on your roster, because if they make that pass to the roller and you know, no one's and you don't have a legitimate rim protector there, it's an easy score every time. Taylor Hendricks provides that opportunity to where you can play drop. You can play at the level. You can do all sorts of these different defensive looks to really throw mm-hmm. off your opponent. Let's talk about the perimeter defense a little bit too, because I'm, I think I'm a little more skeptical on it than you are not okay. that I'm down on it. I'm just, I'm confused. Um, sure. Because it, I, I do think there's a little more athleticism and flexibility for him to kind of unharness. I'm just not sure that he's there yet. So when we talk about him as an on-ball defender, um, I have no issues or concerns about his team defense and off-ball defense. But when he gets put on ball against NBA ball handlers and athletes, do you think he'll struggle long-term or are you more optimistic about it? I think in the in the immediate, that's kind of what would be my my big question is, if an, if an NBA offense is looking to hunt him and put him out there on an island against one of your, your more sophisticated creators, obviously, you know, Nathan did a great job of breaking down things in his latest article. And we got to remember that it's going to take a while for anyone who's, you know, 18, 19 years old to get to that level. But I think that in the long term that he absolutely can. We talked about how he'll improve in his strength and that'll help him on offense defensively too. I think that that'll help him, you know, even adding some of that functional weight that everybody kind of talks about um, can actually help his athleticism and explosiveness too, especially if he keeps continuing to add to his base. I think that that'll help him be able to, you know, use his uh, movement to stay in front of players and things like that. And then again, with his his recoverability and shot blocking skills, if if he does maybe lose a step, I, I kind of trust his recovering ability as well. Okay, well, we've gotten a little bold in our last couple of mock drafts, putting Uh-oh. Taylor Hendricks, uh, you know, in late lottery, um, mostly to the Thunder. I still love that fit for him yeah. and them. Um, but when you think of your kind of favorite fits, are there any teams that jump out? Um, where is he currently on your board? And are there any players in the league right now that he kind of reminds you of? Obviously not a one-for-one comparison, but vibes, play style, potential role, that type of thing. Yeah, I mean, there's, I think, the the Jared Vanderbilt kind of comparison, the, the Jaden McDaniels, some of these bigger, more switchable, you know, Swiss Army knife kind of fours that can do a little bit of everything. I think he's of that ilk. Um, a lot of, you know, shades of both of those types of players. I have him 13th, I want to say right now. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of people can speak speak similarly to what I'm about to say. This kind of like 9 through 18, 19 range is they're pretty up in the air right now. Yeah. You know, it's really kind of hard to nail down. But I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes higher. I'm not necessarily shutting the door on him climbing up my board at all. But I mean, I, I'm like you, man. I love that Oklahoma City fit. I think it kind of fits their their draft model to a T. Um, Utah could probably stand to get a, a Jared Vanderbilt replacement. I, I don't think that that would be out of the question. 
Also wouldn't be surprised to see Orlando kind of continue their their tall tree lineup that they keep fronting out there with the versatility of Paulo being able to, you know, play inside outside. And obviously Franz Wagner is one of the more fascinating young forwards in the league as well. All right. Well, Steven, thank you so much. This was a blast. Uh, listeners, if you haven't, for some reason, watched Taylor Hendricks yet, please go do so. He has some of the most please. fun tape in this draft. He is a delight to watch on both ends of the floor. Uh, Steven is taking my place for writing this week. So as you're listening to this, uh, his Des Moines Hodge piece should be up. It's fantastic. Go read it over at noceilingsnba.com. It's 100% free. Click that subscribe button while you're there. Uh, he is Stephen Gillespie at Stephen G Hoops. Stephen, thank you. Thank you. I'm very happy to bring on Maxwell Bombach now. Uh, Maxwell, who is one mm-hmm. of the guys in this draft class who you've really enjoyed watching this year? It's Leonard Miller, which is a very controversial uh, selection. It's a hot button issue <laughs> within the No Ceilings group chat at the very least. Um, but I, I like him. He is not what I expected him to be at all. I think he's not what most people projected him to be at all. Um, but he's still very interesting and he's a guy that like, I don't know, I've just kind of fallen in love with, with his motor and the way that he plays. Yeah. And he, he feels like one of these guys where you're either all in or completely out on. Yeah. It's, it's been a unique year for him. And, you know, going back to last year, I I was, let's say skeptical, um, but Mm -hmm. I was, I love that he chose to go to the ignite team. Uh, because I thought that was going to be great for his development. So watching him this year, what was what what just really jumps off the screen and has made you enjoy watching him so much? Yeah. So to to kind of backtrack a bit, I I was with you. Like last year, I didn't see it. Like when people were talking about like, oh, he could be this like point forward and he could be this and that. Like, yeah, it just seemed really theoretical to me, and it seemed really far away. Um, and I agree. I thought the ignite was like the perfect choice for him because I thought it was going to give him an opportunity to have a long leash and play through his mistakes, but also get really good developmental attention and like have high level coaching around him, play alongside other great players, face great competition, which like he really didn't do. He played at Fort Erie on a grad team. Like it wasn't, it wasn't the same as like a guy who played at a high major college coming into the, to the NBA combine. Uh, and I thought he was bad at the NBA combine to be frank. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I thought he made a great choice. And I think what I have loved about watching him play this season is his rebounding, um, which is so weird because I like, like we mentioned, like the selling points with him where like he could be this big jumbo initiator type guy. He's going to get downhill. He's going to create. And that's not what he is at all, but he is still very functional. So Leonard Miller is averaging about nine and a half rebounds per game in the G league this year, which is like, he's one of the top rebounders in the league. Like whether you want to go by raw numbers, whether you want to go by percentages, whatever. And he's averaging almost three a game on the offensive glass. Um, so there's, there's two parts to it that I like a lot. So the, the first part is the defensive rebounding. Um, he does still have a little bit of grab and go to him. I don't love the passing. I don't love the handle. It can get really funky and it can get away from him. But the fact that he can start transition possessions with how many rebounds he gets is big. Um, and then on top of that, um, he is a very good finisher. So the fact that he's getting these three offensive rebounds per game and he's finishing so well at the rim is like, it's money. It's money in the bank. Anytime this guy's getting an offensive rebound, he is uh, 65.4% at the rim um, on the year in the G League. 
in the half court, that number goes down to 60.2, but he's still like a very above average at the rim player in the G league. So to me, I just see him as like a high motor guy. He is running hard, both ends of the court, the entire game. Um, and I think that's what he's going to do. Like, I, I don't think he's going to be, people think he thought he was going to be a year ago that like really liked him, but I do think his effort in rebounding is going to allow him to carve out a role as an energy guy. Yeah. And w- as I was catching up on some of his tape, you know, I, it, you just kind of naturally go back to what you're initially sold when you mm-hmm. see, you know, r- scouting reports or reviews of these guys. And, you know, Lamar Odom was one that always came up with him. And I yeah. Just, God, like, I don't see that at all. But the more <laughs> I watch, yeah, you know, it's like, oh, but I'm getting kind of like a lot of Josh Minot esque vibe. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. If you kind of instead market him as that, it's like, oh, this guy is interesting. But yeah. when you market him off the bat as, you know, maybe a hall of famer it's like oh <laughs> like, he doesn't have yeah, the playmaking. Yeah. he doesn't have the shooting like it's not there so mm-hmm. when we talk about him offensively a lot of what he was originally being sold as last year hasn't really come to fruition do you no. see steps towards that or do you think he would be better off just kind of pivoting more into doing that dirty work and being that kind yeah. of play finisher on the inside I think that's, I think that's at the very least the initial path. Like that is what I would be concerned with for, first and foremost, as far as like, this is the stuff that's going to get you on the floor. It'll be great if that other stuff comes along, but like, that is not what he should be concerned with. What he should be concerned with right now is just playing a simplified game, um, continuing to set good screens, knowing when to cut, making the right pass, limiting his mistakes. His turnover numbers were like really bad early in yeah. the year. Um, and when we talked, that was like one of the biggest things that he's mentioned is that he feels like his feel is getting better. Like he feels like the game is kind of slowing down for him a little bit. Um, so and that's, that's, that's huge for, for a guy who hasn't really played much organized basketball, or at least in terms yeah. of being held accountable. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, cause it's the thing is like, yeah, the one year and like before he broke out, I don't think people realized like he like didn't play on like the high school teams he was on. Like he went yeah. to good high schools and like wasn't a factor at all so even just like getting big minutes in these kind of environments is is pretty new to him other than like one eybl season uh so yeah i i think with him on offense it's just a matter of finding ways to finish plays if the other stuff comes along that's great um but i see him more as just a dirty work guy especially out of the gate all right let's talk about the shot a little bit um because i i actually don't hate it like inside of 15 feet i think he has some kind of like cool like post move stuff um and like turnaround fadeaway stuff you know inside the free throw line Mm -hmm. but once you get out there outside of that it goes downhill really quickly so from a shooting standpoint how do you view view him i think it's gonna have to be reworked um I, it's so funny that you mentioned Josh Minot because I was like the big Josh Minot guy among the No Ceilings crew last year. I loved Josh Minot. And I think there's a lot of similarities, right? Where it's like, there's like this interesting touch near the basket. There's like some moments of like, oh, all right. That was like a really clever play or whatever. But then like, there's some really bad stuff in there. And the jump shot is just nasty. Uh, that You know, Minot in college, I think made two jump shots and one of them was a banked in three. And like with, yeah. with Leonard Miller, it's not that bad. Like he's, it's important to remember too, he's shooting from NBA range, uh, you know, and he's doing it against, you know, near NBA level competition. He's 26.3% of the year, which is bleak. It's not good. It's not where you want to be. Um, 
But what I will give him, like you said, is the touch is good and it's a better form than it was a year ago. So a year ago, it was like a shot putting motion. It was like a straightforward shot putting motion toward the basket. It felt like the ball was coming off of his palm. Um, it's still a low release, but it's a little bit higher than it was a year ago. And just by the spin on the ball, you can at least tell now that like, you know, it's coming off of his fingers at the very least. <laughs> like it's not a total push at the basket. Um, I think the people that are like really, really bullish on Leonard Miller, cause there are like, there are people that are like, oh, he's like a lottery picker top 10. I'm not there. I'm, I'm, he's a top 25 guy for me. Um, more than like a top 15, top 10 guy. Um, I think they really buy like his touch inside the arc is so good. Uh, mm-hmm. and inside the free throw line that like that's going to translate. And I think, I just think they're two different things. Like the way that he shoots it in that range is just nothing like a jump shot. Um, and I think he's just going to have to figure out how to shoot a jump shot differently because even now it's it's just a very low release that like, there needs to be more tweaking to it all right let's talk about the defense yeah where are you at with it uh it's inconsistent but it's better than it was like early in the year there was i i actually thought it was better than i expected out of the gate at least on the ball like i thought during that like first metropolitan's game which we did the uh the playback for mm-hmm. like he actually had some moments and it was like oh all right like i i thought he was a disaster uh on defense prior to this so I was kind of surprised that it was as good as it was. Um, I think rotations are still where he has like the most problems, like the more complicated the offensive set is, the more trouble he can kind of have. Um, but I do think he's okay on the ball. I think when he gets into a stance, he can do a good job of containing smaller players. Um, he's really thin, but I feel like he plays really tough. So like when he is on like a true five, I feel like he does. Okay. Um, I think there's a lot of potential on that side. And I think that, it's been probably the area of his game outside of like rebounding that has improved the most as the year has gone along. Um, but you were like the defense guy at no ceiling. <laughs> so how do you feel about the defense of him currently? Um, I, I think inconsistent is probably the best yeah. way to put it. Um, mm-hmm. He looks like a guy who's never been taught how to play defense mm-hmm. um, and has just kind of relied on his size and the flashy plays and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like his, like the scripted stuff, like when he's the low man and, you know, tag the roller, recover to the, to your guy in the corner, that stuff he's really comfortable with. It's more of the kind of improvised spur of the moment rotations where he's either completely misses or is a step late on Um, Mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, that's kind of steadily improving throughout the year, I think is encouraging. Um, But then I'm a little less excited about the on ball stuff. Um, It feels like his fundamentals are kind of wonky with his footwork. He tend it seems like he uh, reaches across his body when he goes for steel attempts a lot. And he does. he's gotten yeah. torched on that, you know, it's funny. Cause I was, times. yeah. Cause I I'm writing about Oso Iguodaro this week. And like, those are the things I was talking about is in that article. It's like one of my pet peeves is when like bigger guys, especially if it's like switch onto a smaller guy on the mm-hmm. perimeter and they reach. And it's like, if you're in, especially like Miller too, cause he already has a tendency to play a little too narrow when guarding on guys like too upright, too narrow. And then when you reach and it's like, okay, well now you're off balance and like you're slower footed and you're standing up straight. And now like you were just giving the guy a prime opportunity to blow by you. Like it's, it's one of the most frustrating habits in bigs, like when they do that on the perimeter for me. So yeah, I, I definitely see some of that in his game. Yeah. So I, what is encouraging though, is that it seems like he wants to defend. Like none of I think the, so too. none of his lapses feel like he's just going through the motions or like, what the fuck am I doing out here? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, just he doesn't know 
what he's doing yet and you know his willingness to go to the ignite um obviously some of that stems from a lack of interest from nba teams but Mm -hmm. at at that time not now but his willingness to go there instead of somewhere else where he would have free reign and go into the system where he was going to be coached hard and put in really difficult situations to learn suggests to me that he wants to be coached and wants to get better and that he wants to defend he just doesn't know how to do it yet. So yeah. I, I keep kind of cling, clinging to the idea that he's just still really early in his kind of developmental curve on that aspect mm-hmm. of his game. And, you know, three, four years from now, if he keeps that same effort up yes. with his physical and athletic tools, I was like, okay, I think there could be really something here. That's part of why I like him a lot. And that's part of why I kind of view him in the range that I view him in is because I think even if like the offense doesn't go anywhere, I think the defense can go somewhere. And like he talked a lot about like, how much film he watches and how he tries really hard to like not make the same mistake twice and to just get better and better on that end of the floor every single day. And it's like, okay, well, if he's already making strides here and he's at least like playable at the G league level uh, with this little experience, six ten, seven two wingspan moves well side to side, good speed off the floor. Like there's a world in which he can become a really versatile defender mm-hmm. who can cover a lot of positions and cover ground when he has to rotate. Once those instincts are kind of ingrained in him a little bit more like projecting it forward it's easy to get really excited about him on that side of the ball if you look at it through sort of an optimistic lens so just strictly defensively what Mm. do you kind of think his most likely role um Mm -hmm. on defense is and what do you think would be like you know 90th percentile type outcome yeah i think like 90th percentile type outcome oh geez that's tough to say um i think I think with the league getting kind of bigger and bigger, you're seeing more like, I feel like I use this guy in every example, so I'm going to try and use somebody else. But um, like you're seeing more like roamer types too. Like they can kind of just like float, like play off the ball and, and kind of do their magic in space. And I think he has that type of potential if things go like really well instinctually but for now i think he's a guy that you just have him guard the other teams for and you hope that if he switched he does he's not toast um but i think like the super optimistic outcome is that he can be a guy that that gets to a place instinctually where you kind of trust him to wander and communicate and and just be sort of a chaos maker um on the back line of a defense how, how do you kind of see him projecting out yeah, and I, I think if he could kind of rein in some of those fundamental things with his like mm-hmm. footwork and stance uh, and the reaching and stuff, like I, I think if he could mold or grow into like a Jared Vanderbilt esque defender, I think that'd be mm-hmm. huge. And I, yeah. I promise I'm not trying to understate what Jared Vanderbilt does. I, that yeah, that's like because he was the guy I was I was trying to use, like thinking about using yeah. as an example. And it's just like I that's I don't know. I felt so much better about Vanderbilt coming yeah. out on that side of the floor than I did with Leonard Miller. Yeah, I, for where, you know, when you compare them for where Vanderbilt was at the same point mm-hmm. where Leonard Miller is now, very different defenders, but but very different like it, trajectories and backgrounds coming into. So. Exactly, I'm just saying if everything kind of goes right for him, that I think that would be kind of best case scenario as a defender, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I I can definitely see that. I think I think a lot of it's just going to come down to like how far he can progress on that end and like what his instincts are going to allow him to do because a lot of it is just like reps and experience, but there also is just like at a certain point, like guys just have ceilings. Like guys just have like a certain point where it's like, 
that is as good as they can get at that given thing. And you kind of have to bank on his defensive ceiling being pretty high. And I, I think it can be, I, I just, I'm really buying the growth because I, I thought his defensive film was disastrous in like the, the 40 year game. So the fact that it's even a point for optimism now, I think allows me to, to get pretty excited about it. All right. To, to wrap up um, just a few things here mm-hmm. as of right now today, where is yep. he on your board? Um, is, what are some of your kind of favorite team fits for him? Um, you know, regardless of draft pick or slot yeah. or wh- wherever they are. And what are, or is there anyone in the league right now that kind of gives you similar vibes to him? Obviously not a one-for-one comp, not going to hold your feet to the fire. It's not, you just more vibes uh-huh. role, you know, skill set type of stuff. Yeah. I feel, I feel bad because I feel like I use this guy in comps all the time. Like, but could he be big Javante green? Like, could he be just Ooh. like, he's not like the same, like vertical pop athlete. He's probably not as explosive right? Uh, either like laterally, but he is like big and long. And I think that's what you're looking at is like, you're looking at a guy who just comes in, plays hard, runs up and down the floor and then can defend a couple positions. Well, like that's kind of what, like the rough framework of what you're looking at is um, as far as team fits. I feel like a team like Indiana um, plays really small a lot of the time. And I feel like that's a, a roster that just needs more size on it. Like they have lineups where they're playing like Duarte or Matherin basically at the four. So like, I, I feel like they're and like the, the fact that he doesn't shoot wouldn't be a problem out of the gate there because you have miles Turner to space the floor. You have Matherin, you have buddy healed. Like you have so many guys that do shoot Halliburton that like, if he's not shooting, it's not the end of the world. I think Utah could be interesting. Um, I really buy Will Hardy as a coach. And I think yeah. that, like they're going to have a really good developmental pipeline. So depending on how things work out, that could be a good fit. Um, I don't, the one like I don't want, or, like, which is like, I think in his range would be Charlotte. Like, I feel like Charlotte is the place where like bigs just get thrown into a pile. And like yeah. Mark Williams is like battling his way through it, but <laughs> they have so many other like raw big men that I, I that's like the one that I, I don't want. <laughs> so, it, it'd just be him yeah. and kai jones spider-man <laughs> yeah other. and jt thor yeah like oh, God. <laughs> in the mix too so that's like the one the one situation i'm hoping he avoids but like utah and indiana are probably the two that i get most excited about as far as like seeing how the the current like standing shake out and like that's the range i, I conceivably see him going in all right. Well, he is Maxwell Bombach. You can follow him on Twitter at Bomboards, B-A-U-M-B-O-A-R-D-S. Uh, he wrote an awesome feature on Leonard Miller the other week over at NoSealingsNBA.com. 100% free. Go check it out. And wrote an awesome feature on Jalen Pickett from Penn State uh, this week. So make sure to go check that out. Maxwell, thank you. Thanks for having me.